Friends, we're so glad that you've joined us here today. My name's Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors here at Friends Church in Orange. And whether you're watching this message online or listening to it in your car or on a run or wherever you are today, it's our hope that the words that are shared, that the message of God that is shared in this message will give you hope, life, and encouragement as you seek to live faithfully for Jesus in the midst of your world. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so by going to our website. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to connect with you. And we'd love to serve you in any way we can. So, hey, everybody. How's it going? Yes, I am another Kyle, right? So I'm Kyle B. And uh, here's just one of the things that I've just come to accept. I know Kyle Zimmerman very well. We share the name. Um, But I'm the younger Kyle, okay? Uh, So that's important. Um, But I've I've accepted the fact that... um, Kyle is, uh, Kyle Z is, he's the handsome Kyle. And I, it's, a, it's a struggle, I had to, but I had to get to that point where I was just able to accept it. And so he's, he's a good looking man. Like for his age, he's a very good looking man. So anyways, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to be here. I am one of the pastors on staff at uh, the Yorba Linda campus and have been a part of Friends for about four or five years. Um, my wife and I, we have three little boys, and we actually live right here in Orange, so Orange is home. And so getting to be here with all of you is, is absolutely wonderful, and really, really feel privileged to be able to get to do that. Uh, last week, Kyle Z, uh, he kicked off this series talking about transform, and specifically, what does it look like to have our thinking, the way that we conceptualize ideas and those types of things, how can we have that transformed and have that change? Um, he took a look at the book of Romans, and specifically the, the passage, uh, Romans 12, verse 1 through 2. And we're going to look at that as well, because that is a really great umbrella passage for everything that we're going to be talking about today. And so what I would like for you to do is to actually read it with me. Um, maybe, you know, you're, you're not fully awake yet, and so I'm going to ask you to, to read out loud, yes, project your voice. And here's the thing, 8.30 service, they kind of started strong and trailed off. The, the, um, the middle service, they, they did well, right? But I think you can, you can do even better, all right? So join me in saying this. I'll be on the mic and, and reading it through, but I would love to have you read it with me. Are you, are you up for that? Yeah? Okay, great. So let's read um, this passage of scripture together. It's Romans 12, verse 1 through 2, and the, uh, the words will be on the screen. So let's dive in. So here we go. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Good job, everybody. Thanks. Thanks. You know? So today we're, we're jumping off of, of that same passage. We're going to go a little bit deeper into uh, Romans chapter 12. And we're going to be talking not about how you can transform your mind or your thoughts, uh, but what does it look like to transform relationships? What does it look like to have the interactions that we have between people have, have God change them? 
and maybe to be able to move some of those relationships that are okay to being good or those relationships that are good uh, to being great. And I think it's pretty standard that everyone wants good relationships. I don't think that there's a person out there who is sitting there saying, you know what, I just, I really want to find somebody who just drains me. I, I really am looking forward to, you know, find that person who just adds toxicity and dysfunction and, and confusion to my relationships, right? I don't think that there's somebody out there that, that's saying, I just want somebody who doesn't love me for me, right? I don't think that that's what's going on. No one says that. Uh, there was a study, though, in 1938, yes, started in 1938 by uh, Harvard, that they began studying 268 sophomores. They took them and they said, hey, we're going to test you over a number of years of your physical and mental health. We're going to keep looking at you. And for over 85 years, they have continued to track that population of people. It's one of the longest studies on health and happiness ever. And there are just a few of these uh, men still alive. But you know what they found? They said that this was the revelation, that close relationships, more than money or fame, are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Those ties protect people from life's discontents. They help to delay mental and physical deterioration. And they are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, than IQ, or even genes. Robert Waldinger, the current head of the study, said that on the opposite end, loneliness kills. He said that it is as detrimental to be lonely as what it is to smoke a cig cigarettes every day or to be an alcoholic. So clearly... People want good relationships, and science is telling us and proving the value of them, which we already know. So why don't we all just have great relationships? It's because relationships are really tough, and we're not in control of them, and they're confusing, and they're hard. Valentine's Day was this past week, and it's supposed to be this holiday that's all about love and, and about connection, but it also can end up really highlighting the fact that there's a lot of brokenness. There's an immense amount of hurt and longing that, do, that goes unmet. So what do you think? What do you think it would take to transform your relationships? What would it look like to make the rough ones good and to maybe be able to have the good ones be great? I think we need to hear from God on this. And so let's read uh, together. I'll read it. You can read along with me. Um, from Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21. And hear uh, what God has to say through the, the missionary Paul to the church. So it'll be on the screen, but follow along with me. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 begins by saying this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. 
Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. There's a lot there. Idea stacked upon idea. And guess what? If we wanted to fully dive into everything that's in here, it would take us until Easter to be able to look just at this list. Uh, But there's two truths that I want to kind of point out to you about that collection of thoughts. Uh, First is just this, that every command within there has to do with relationships. And second, there are a number of contrasts throughout. There's this do, 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 and don't, don't, don't contrast that's being drawn. Don't just pretend to love others. Don't be lazy. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of others. Don't think you know it all. But do hate what's wrong. Do cling to what's good. Do love each other with genuine affection. Do keep praying. Do bless those who persecute you. Again and again and again, Paul is drawing this contrast. And it's a really important one because one of the things that was going on in the church in Rome at this time was a great deal of division. There were two main groups that were a part of the Roman church. One uh, was a group of Jewish believers, people who had the heritage and the legacy of being a part of the nation of Israel. They had um, what we would kind of consider our Old Testament. They, They were proud of those things. That was what they were culturally. But then there were also these Roman believers, uh, often referred to as Gentiles. They were people who were kind of the new wave of, of what Jesus had been doing. They had come to faith in Jesus, even though that wasn't, uh, they weren't brought up as a part of the nation of Israel. And so you have these two different groups of people that are trying to follow Jesus, but ultimately are finding themselves in a place where culturally they, they clash, they're divided sounds a little bit like what might be going on in our world today, where there are cultural lines being drawn and people don't necessarily know how to move forward. And so they're saying, well, how do we know what's good? How do we know how we should order ourselves and what we should do as the church? And Paul writes to them. And for the earlier 11 chapters of the book of Romans, he just tells them, listen, it's not about finding out which culture sits on the top of the pile. It's not about that. Instead, you as the church, you are something completely new. You are some culture that no one has ever seen before, and it is 100% centered on and ordered by the life of a man who was the son of God, who came here and lived in such a way that it, it it supersedes and everything else just pales in comparison to this man who is Jesus. He's the model. He's the one that we take our cue from. And that's why 
Paul says, don't just pretend to love others because Jesus didn't just pretend to love others. Jesus didn't put on a show. Jesus didn't come here and just walk around with a showcase of little amazing things he could do. No, Jesus lived life alongside of people in the tangible, gritty interconnections of relationships. And as he did so, it cost him a great deal. And there was great sacrifice that was made again and again. And so people, these words that are written here, they're for us as well. Because it's very easy for us to just fall into a place of living out the Christian life or following Jesus where we just maybe send a text. You know, we just well wish in the direction of somebody who's going through something hard. Or we just think about what could be good. But Paul's saying here, no, don't get confused by the rage of a culture that's swarming around you. Don't be in a spot where you're so busy working on your own personal life that you get to a point where you completely miss and overlook the fact, the very straightforward call that you need to be loving people in tangible ways that show them who Jesus is. It's being able to actually put a hand on someone's shoulder and to be able to raise your voice in prayer out loud for them at a point when they are in need. It is taking what you have in your pocket and taking it out and putting it into a place so that somebody else's pocket that is empty is able to be filled It is inviting someone over to your home to sit in your chair to eat your food at your table so that they can have a tangible, real place where they feel welcome. It's not in just all these ideas or these, you know, ephemeral concepts. It is in the real life lived with one another. And so here's the question. How do we actually have the transformation come about? How do we see this bring about? Do we just do that list? Is that what we need to do? Take those down, get little check boxes and make sure that we knock them all off and then we'll have transformation? God will magically do it? No. It's a little bit different than that. So let me ask, here in the room, do we have any uh, skiers, any snow skiers here in the room? All right, we got, we got a hand or two raised. We got any snowboarders here in the room? Okay, all right, a couple more of you. So there's something that's really interesting about the sport of snowboarding or skiing, and that is the fact that you have to give your life over to that equipment. You literally clip in, and you are saying, all right, I'm dedicated to this. I am committed. This is the way I'm going to navigate this mountain, is using these tools. And so when you clip in, and you lock in, and you are getting ready, if you're standing there, and you're balanced, you're like, ha-ha, I'm skiing. And you'd be like, no you got to go down the hill. You're not snowboarding yet. You actually have to lean in. And as you take the slope, as you press in and go and navigate the hills and the other things that go on, that's when you begin to build the muscle memory. You begin to build the ability to navigate the ups and the downs and the twists. That's how your body becomes a skier or a snowboarder's body. You have to take the risk. You have to press in. It doesn't matter how many books you read. At some point in time, you actually have to do the action. As Christians, we we get the equipment. We get to clip in in our relationship because of what Jesus has done. 
But the question is, are we just living on the bunny hill? Are we just poised up at the top, just sitting there? I'm balanced, I'm here, I've got the gear. Or are we actually willing to try those practices, the things that are listed there about hospitality, about honoring other people? Are we leaning into those and taking the downward slope, even though it's tough and it's risky and there's a possibility that we might fall and eat it and end up that we're cold and bruised and wet and sore? And if you've ever skied or snowboarded, man, you can be so sore afterwards. But that's part of the adventure. That's how you grow. That's how you develop. And when we as Christians press into actions of love, tangible actions of love, that's what God honors and uses to be able through the Holy Spirit to grow us as people and to be able to transform the very relationships that we're pouring into. It's very, it's, it's very tangible. And so this little girl, she, she sets an example for us but there was another girl in one of my ministries who, who just really set an example for me as well. I, uh, I work within young adults ministry for a long, long time. And uh, this young lady, she came to church. She was very new. We happened to be talking about the grace of God. And it hit home for her. It really you know, shook her up. And she left that night, and I didn't know what happened, but she came back the next week, and she had a friend there with her. And she said, hey, this is my friend. And I said, oh, that's great. It's so glad to meet her. And she's like, yeah. She's here. And I was like, cool, what's the story? And she says, oh, well, last week I learned about God's grace for me. And I actually had been a really terrible friend to her. I had hurt her and our relationship was done. But I realized when I was offered God's grace that I had to go and talk to her. So I went and I apologized and I told her, I'm so sorry. I can't believe what I did to you. And, and I, I hope you'll forgive me. And this friend, this girl that's standing right there next to me says like, yeah, that's what she did. And, and, I, and I was like, well, how'd that come about? And she said, oh, I learned about, about Jesus. And the friend said to her, oh, can I, can I come? And so she showed up. And so then they were like, so could you tell us about Jesus? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, let's do that, right? But she immediately took what she had received and she leaned into it. And it changed her relationship. First her relationship with God, but then her relationship with somebody else. And sometimes I think that we need to stop viewing these things as uphill battles. And I think we need to see them instead as downward slopes. Where when we trust and when we lean in, God will take us. And it might be terrifying and it might be scary and we might get hurt. But there's a movement that God is pulling us into. And that's his power that is available for us. Within relationships, um, and just like in skiing, there's different difficulty levels. So uh, look up on the screen real quick. There's, there's a green circle, and those are easy paths. There's the blue square, that's intermediate, you know, a little bit more challenge. And then there's black diamond, where experts only, right? And here's the, here's the deal. Um, this is good news for us. Because in our relationships, we're going to have certain relationships that are they're green circle. They're fairly easy. They're people who are, are naturally able to love. They're people who it's okay for us to just be around them and to trust them because there isn't too much difficulty to it. These are people maybe that we serve alongside of here at church or people who it's easy to, to praise them and encourage them. But then there's also these relationships that are blue squares and they're relationships where maybe it's a new person. We don't know them yet. 
Or maybe it's somebody who we see that they're actually in a tough spot or they don't have the same social status or social skills that we might have. And so we show them hospitality. We invite them out for lunch. We come around inside them. And then there's other relationships that are black diamond relationships. Maybe an ailing parent who's in a, a tough spot or a roommate who's super frustrating and keeps doing that thing again and again and again. Maybe it's a relationship with your spouse or a good friend or a coworker who hurt you, who shamed you, who let you down. And you're in a spot where you're like, I don't know what to do with that relationship. And here's, here's the invitation that's here from Paul. The invitation not to be a bunny slope only Christian, but that you would dare to lean in and that you would dare to call out to God and say, God, transform my life, transform this relationship as I press in and trust God, trust God's power and trust God's plan for that relationship. Now, uh, there are more texts than what we've read so far that are a part of this whole story. We haven't really focused yet on, uh, on a couple of them, but this is where we're warming up to. So verse uh, 14, 12 verse 14 says this. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. And then verse 20. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. So don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. These verses don't fit very easily into the don't or do category. They're, they're, they actually kind of jar us when we hear them. I look at them and I'm like, why are these here? I don't like that these verses are here. I wish that they would go away because they don't sound very fair. They call me to something that seems downright impossible and that I know are actually really, really impractical. But when you know Paul's story, it helps to make a little bit of sense. You see, there was a time when Paul uh, was not a follower of Jesus, the man who wrote this passage. In fact, there was a time when Paul was the church's public enemy number one. Paul would himself tell people, and he says this in Galatians 1 verse 13, Paul, uh, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. Paul was a persecutor. Paul put people in prison and people died because of his work. Paul was the enemy. Paul was evil. But God loved Paul. And God has a way of loving his enemies into friends. He struck Paul blind on the road to Damascus while Paul was going to go and hurt someone. And through the prayers of a Christian named Ananias, Paul ends up having his entire life, his entire name flipped around and he becomes going from a persecutor to being a preacher. He says this about himself, 1 Timothy 1 verse 13, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, I hated him in my insolence, I persecuted this people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. And this is just a beautiful verse. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. 
Paul knew firsthand what it was like to have Jesus overcome the evil within him with the good of love. And so when he is writing to these churches, these churches that are in division within the church, but who are also at times being persecuted, he's writing to them and he's saying, every situation you're in, when somebody is being mean to you, when they're after you, when they're hurting you, he says, in those situations, you've got to realize that's an opportunity for you to be able to put God, put Jesus on display in a way that they won't ever understand, but that has the power to be able to convict them to be able to change them. And Paul says, that is my story. And so when we hold back from being willing to to press in in these ways, we would miss out on this opportunity, this ability to maybe be able to convince someone of what Jesus is like. Now, all around the world this past year, Uh, there was a lot of persecution, genuine persecution that was going on for the church. Um, 2,100 churches last year were attacked or closed. Um, 5,600 people were killed for their faith. 124,000 people were displaced, driven from their homes. And 310 million Christians worldwide faced some form of persecution. So the norm of the American Christian life is not the norm of other Christians in many other places. Their norm is that they have been rejected by their families for being followers of Jesus. They have lost access to their very own children. They have been kicked out of their homes. They have been unable to find work. They had to flee to avoid rape or abuse or death. They've been imprisoned without trial. They have no representation And they've had their resources, their property seized and taken from them. And these people are the ones to whom this passage is written so clearly. And and the call that is placed on them to be able to pray, to love, to forgive, to offer mercy and grace, it, it goes beyond thinking. It's unfathomable. But... The interesting thing uh, when you talk to organizations that work with the persecuted church or missionaries that are around them, they say again and again, when we are asked to pray for these persecuted Christians, you know what they ask for? They don't ask that the persecution would end. Instead, they ask again and again, pray for us that we would be strong enough in the face of persecution to be able to be an example of what Jesus Christ is like. Because if we don't do it, they won't have a chance to be able to witness what Jesus is like. And so these Christians, again and again, even sometimes when they get out of the persecuted areas, they decide to go back because they're saying, if we don't go, if we don't live this way with those who have hurt us, those who have burned down our homes, if we don't actually care for them, then they will never have the opportunity. And I'm just going to say to all of us here, this is impossible. We cannot do it. You won't be able to pray for or care for those that have hurt you. You won't be able to turn around to those who stabbed you in the back or someone in your office who who threw you under the bus. You won't be able to do it on your own. But there is another option because Jesus has opened the way. 
the one who, when he was on a cross and being tortured, when he was being killed for having done nothing wrong, this man stood on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this Jesus calls us higher. He calls us to depend upon God, to call out to him and ask him to do the impossible within us that we might be able to display and give an example of what Jesus is like to a world that simply won't get it. And that's Paul's story. And that's my story too. Because when I was in my freshman year of college, I, I'm just going to say it, but um, I, I was a prick. <laughs> I really was. I, I was a jerk. I thought I was so cool. I, I was full of myself and I was arrogant. I thought I was better than everyone around me. And I went through life and the crazy thing was that I didn't have any really good relationships. I didn't have friends. I was very much alone and it was killing me. And I got to a point where I was so angry with God, so angry with all this church and everything like that, but still so self-righteous that I just, I said to God, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm out. And through a series of different events, um, God ended up having me go on a trip where we ended up working for a period of time with uh, homeless people. And a homeless man um, sat down with me one day and he gave me his story and, and the truth about what had happened in his life. And it convicted me so deeply that I was, I was overwhelmed with, with mercy and with God's love for me. And it changed me. It flipped me. It sent me in a different direction. I'm a recovering prick now, right? <laughs> and so, but God has done so many good things out of that beginning of mercy and continued on. People that know me, they look at me and they say, Kyle, you don't deserve the kind of life that you have. And I say, I know, I don't. I've gotten better than what I deserve. Do you know why? Because of the mercy of Jesus Christ. And this scandalous love is the kind of love that we are called. If we are going to bear the name of Jesus in this world, then we need to live out that kind of love for people, the kind of love that they cannot understand, but that they are so desperate to be able to receive. So how do you transform your relationships? You call out to God and you say, God, do the impossible within me. Fill me with a love that comes only from Jesus. Enable me to be aware of the mercy that you're offering me so that I can then turn around and offer mercy to someone else. So don't copy the ways of the world, but instead, offer your life. Lean in to those practices in a way that allows you to be transformed and that your life would be a living sacrifice that is pleasing before God. So when we trust in God, when we trust in his power to do the, the unthinkable, and when we actually trust in God's plan, uh, then we, we join alongside of those who are being persecuted all across the world. Here in America, we have a great privilege. We are not persecuted. We're not. And we don't need to feel guilty about that. We can be grateful for it. 
And then we can find ways that when someone does hurt us, when someone does shame us, when we've been broken or let down by people, sometimes our family, sometimes our friends, sometimes those right around us, we don't respond with anger or rage or revenge, but instead we show them a different way. That's our opportunity. And we have the chance to stand with those Christians who across the world are asking us to pray that they would be strong, to be able to Show the world what Jesus is like. That's how we transform our relationships. That's how we are transformed ourselves. And when we do that within this room, among us as Christians, the love is going to multiply. It's going it's to exponentially increase. And we're all going to live longer because of the Harvard study, right? Like we're all going to have more longevity. And the world will be drawn to the king because of what they see within him. So today, as we close, I have uh, three options for you of response. And the worship team's going to come up here in a second, and we're actually going to have just a little bit of time, a little bit of space um, for you to just reflect and to be able to, to spend some time with God. And so here are the three different options that I want you to consider um, for your own response. The first one is this, that if you're in a spot where you believe you still haven't really grasped God's mercy... Or maybe you're in a spot where, because of a period of time, you've drifted and you're just not, it's not fresh in your mind anymore. Then the first thing that you can do is you can say, hey, I just want to pray and ask God, show me your mercy. Remind me of your mercy to me in my own life. That's option number one. Option number two is uh, that you would pray and you would spend some time and you would say, God, what is one tangible action of love that I need to be about in this coming week? Holy Spirit, show me what that is and give me the courage to be able to lean in and, and actually give it a try. That's option number two. Maybe it's for an enemy, maybe it's for a friend. And then the third and last one is this. Um, listed on the screen there are 10 different nations that are the top 10 um, places where persecution is happening for the church. In many of these nations, Bibles are not allowed. If you are known as a Christian, uh, you are immediately imprisoned or immediately put to death. And so take a moment, if this is what you feel led to do, and to pick one of those nations and to be able to pray that the people there would be strong and that they would be able to be an example of Christ in that place. So overachievers, don't try and do all three. Just pick one. And we're going to have a little bit of space, a little bit of time right now uh, where you can press into that and to be able to just spend some time with God. So pray with me, and then we'll have that time. Dear God, we are, are so desperate to be able to see the relationships around us be transformed, but we don't know how, God. So when we lean in, we pray that you would meet us. We pray that you would make your power available to us, that we would be able to love in a way that goes even beyond our own expectation or our own understanding. God, all for the purpose that people would come to a place where, where they would believe that you're real, that you, Jesus, offer this kind of love to them, this kind of mercy. And God, in view of that, help us to live lives then that tangibly love others and transform all of, all of our interconnections, all of our relationships, and transform us as well. This is our prayer, God. Hear us as we talk with you.